Sketches from Scripture presents Discovery Bible Study Stop reading the Bible. That's right. You heard me. Stop reading it. Stop merely reading the Bible and start discovering God through the Bible. The reason we read the Bible is not just for knowledge or insight or practical application. We engage with the Bible in order to deeply experience the Father who loves us, the Son who saves us, and the Spirit that empowers us. We dive into Scripture so we may better trust and follow Christ, better love our God and our neighbor. If you want to learn to devour your Bible, this short two-part series is for you. Follow along as we learn about Discovery Bible Study, an extremely simple tool that can take your time with God's Word to the next level. Discovery Bible Study was originally developed by Final Command Ministries, and you can learn more about it at northboulevard.com dbs. What are you thankful for? What challenges do you see? Did you accomplish what you committed to? What's this passage say about God? What's it say about people? What am I going to do about it? Who am I going to tell about it? How can we help each other? If you can answer these eight simple questions, you can turn the world upside down the way Jesus intended, by reading scripture with others and obeying what you read. It really is that simple. Get ready to devour your Bible with Discovery Bible Study. Discovery Bible Study was developed by a group called Final Command Ministries, and they sought to find a way to study the Bible, particularly in places where people had never read the Bible before. And so this was used in the beginning primarily in Africa and had great success in communicating the stories of the Bible to people that came from pagan backgrounds, from Islamic backgrounds, Hindu backgrounds, and uh, they were able to communicate the stories of the Bible, the truths of the Bible, and be able to uh, disciple obedience in the people with whom they were studying. And so that's going to be a big key to Discovery Bible Studies, you'll see as we go through it, is obedience, that uh, obedience really comes before belief that um, you don't believe the things and then obey them. You obey them and then you realize why they're true. And so that you end up believing them. And so that'll be an experience that um, might be foreign to you because many, I know many of you watching have grown up in some kind of church. Many of you have been in church your whole lives. Uh, like me, I was practically born in the pew. I don't think I was actually born in a pew, but I probably could have been since Dr. Bob sat right in front of us. I think that would have been okay. But, um, but you know, being in church my whole life, I've known the stories. I don't remember not knowing anything about the Bible. I don't remember, you know, my earliest memories are like vacation Bible school at church and being in the the little kids class at church with uh, Aaron Daniel and Sue Neal and Sue Dave and Aaron Matthews and those, those people. And so um, it's hard for those of us that have grown up in the church to really conceive of not knowing the Bible, not knowing what it is, not understanding the stories, not at least having some general concepts about the Bible. 
So Discovery Bible Study is a great way to study with someone who maybe hasn't grown up in church and um, needs to sort of understand what what's in the Bible, what's it about, what's the story of the Bible. And we'll talk about at, in part two, some of the the efficient ways to do that and some things that you can study with other people. Tonight, we're just going to kind of look at the mechanics of it. But uh, I've found in Final Command, who developed Discovery Bible Study, they found that this is also really great for Christians like us that have been in church for decades, because lots of times we get some preconceived notions about a text, some preconceived ideas about a story or something like that. Or perhaps because of our culture, there's things that we don't notice about a story. Uh, so a couple of examples. You you know, you've probably sung the song, Be Still and Know That I Am God, right? We sing the song, Be Still and Know That I Am God. It's like this lullaby kind of tune, right? When you read Psalm 46, where that line is taken from, it is... Um, uh, about a God that is destroying mountains and <laughs> breaking those spears of the enemy and all these kinds of things. I mean, it's kind of a violent psalm. And when you look at all the different translations of that line, be still and know that I am God, uh, some of the other translations are cease striving and know that I am God, um, stop fighting and know that I am God. Uh, come to a rest is basically what it means. Arrest yourself, stop, freeze is what it means. And that second part, know that I'm God, uh, has the word know there kind of means recognize, remember, don't forget, don't you forget it. So the real sort of uh, energy behind the line is stop what you're doing and remember who I am, God says. So it's perfectly fine to sing the very lullaby, peaceful, be still and know that I am God. That's fine. And God has peaceful qualities about him as well. But that particular psalm, where that line comes from, is uh, a pretty aggressive, a lot of really aggressive things that are happening in that psalm. Uh, another uh, example would be the story of the prodigal son. If you were to... you. you very familiar with the story of the prodigal son. Many of you are, I'm sure. If you were to tell me the story of the prodigal son, one thing that you might leave out, one aspect of that story that you might skip over in the retelling of it is the famine. So you would say that the son took his money and left and he squandered all of his money until he didn't have any. And then he was working for the farmer and he wanted to eat the food that the pigs were eating. And uh, then eventually he came to his senses and went home. But what a lot of us American Westerners forget is that there is a famine. And it's very interesting because in Eastern cultures or in impoverished cultures, when they hear that story, they don't really pay attention to the fact that the son spends, has a lot of wild living. They only see the famine because that is something that is uh, familiar to their experience is, is famine. And so when they see that the son has no money, they assume it's because of the famine. When we see the son has no money, we assume it's because he squandered it all on his living. The fact is both of those things are present in the story. And so it takes a careful reading of looking over all the different details of the story to really know 
all, all the mechanics of what's happening here. And so if you've been with us for a while, then we've been through Genesis. We've been through um, uh, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. We're about to start another series uh, next week on Monday, Monday night. And what we're doing in this series, we're looking at the storytelling of the Bible. We're looking at what does scripture have to tell us besides just the words, because the words don't always uh, communicate everything. There's there's context and there's subtext and there's all these kinds of things. So the words are, are critical and important, but we must understand what what it is that's being communicated in total. And that is more than the words in the same way that we don't look at a single word. We look at the words put together as a, as a sentence. And that sentence says more than just the individual words combined because it's alluding to things and it's calling up things from your memory and it's pointing to other places in scripture and it's making uh, metaphors and analogies about Jesus. And so we need to sort of take all that into account and the storytelling style, the narrative style, the writing style, the narrator's style is a very key part of correctly interpreting the things that we're reading. So that's one of the great things about Discovery Bible Study is it will help you with smaller portions of text. In, in the lessons I've been doing, I've been looking at big swaths of text. Discovery Bible Study will, will help you take a, a, a paragraph, a story, um, and will help you uh, study it with other people in a short period of time in a way that it can be applied and applied well and applied correctly and uh, that people can be held accountable for doing it. So let's look very quickly at how a discovery Bible study goes. We'll talk about the mechanics of it a little bit, and then we'll kind of do some, some sample things. So we've been looking, the last series that we did last week was called What is Discipleship? And we went through the North Boulevard Discipleship Handbook. And in the very back of the Discipleship Handbook, or if you download the PDF at the, at the last couple pages of the PDF, you'll have some really great instructions for Discovery Bible Study. So on the left of the screen here, you're seeing uh, some of the instructions. They're cut off a little bit there at the bottom. The last question is kind of cut off because of the, the shape of the screen. And then on the right, either the right side of the screen or the right page, if you had one of the booklets, you see some of the bookmarks that we did for North Boulevard. And so there's three bookmarks there. And what you're actually seeing is uh, the leftmost bookmark with the dark green top. That is the front of the bookmarks, and it has all the questions. Every bookmark we do basically has the same front, has these exact same questions on the front, because the questions never change no matter what the scripture is. And then the back, what you're seeing, the second and third bookmarks there, those are the backs of the bookmarks. And there are two in this particular Call of Jesus series that we featured in this edition of the handbook. And so you have the call of Jesus part one, the call of Jesus part two, there looks like there's six scriptures in each. And I think they were based on, um, uh, so some of these are based on sermon series that David Young did. Some of them are based on youth retreats that my brother has taken uh, some of his guys on. Um, I think this particular series is specific to helping someone get to a, a, a salvation decision a decision to to follow Jesus or not. And so I think I think really the part one is about a kind of making a salvation decision and part two is a way of sort of helping them understand how to live as a Christian person. So this is a great series 
of scriptures that you can use. There's some other great series, and we'll talk more about those probably tomorrow night. So what I want to talk about is the front of the of the bookmarks, which is partially obscured here, but that's just, it's the questions. And it's the eight questions that you'll go through in a discovery Bible study. And I'll just run through them real quickly for you. Once you do it a couple of times, you won't need a bookmark. You won't need to look it up. It'll just be second nature. You will remember them like I do. But the eight questions are, what are you thankful for? What challenges you got going on? Did you do what you said you were going to do last week? Then you take some time to uh, usually pray, and then you'll you'll read the text, and we'll talk about how, how that happens. Once you read the text, the fourth question is, what does the scripture say about God? Then what does it say about people, about human nature? Uh, how can I put this passage into practice? Who can I encourage with this passage? And then the final question for the group is, is there something that, that we can help each other with? Those are the eight questions. What are you thankful for? What challenges you got? Did you do what you said you were going to do from last week? What's the scripture say about God? What's it say about people? How can I put this passage into practice? Who can I encourage with this passage? And is there anything that we can help each other with? Those are the eight questions of Discovery Bible Studies. Those eight questions every week. Uh, I've been having, uh, until the last few months, I've been having Discovery Bible Study in my home for like seven years straight, something like that. And that's what we did. Every Thursday night at 7 p.m., we did those eight questions. And sometimes it'd take 45 minutes and sometimes it'd take, you know, an hour and a half or something like that, depending on the group and depending on the conversation and those kinds of things. But um, it's the same eight questions, no matter the scripture, um, whatever you're looking at. So um, let's talk about each of those questions individually, and then we'll do a little uh, sample time permitting. So the first question, pardon me when I get this cable out of the way. The first question is, what are you thankful for? Now, this is something that I have asked you guys many times uh, and uh, would greatly um, appreciate your, your honest answers. And so we can do that here again tonight. If I open a card here that says, what are you thankful for? You should have a little card that slides up there and asks what you're grateful for. I'd love it. If you just put a very quick, first thing that comes to your mind, something that you're grateful for, go ahead and put it in there. And um, that way I can see your answer to uh, those kinds of things. So um, typically you want to do a discovery Bible study in an extremely small group. So some small groups at churches are 30 people. This is great for getting together. This is good for living life. This is good for a class or if you're going to do some kind of uh, service project or mission trip or something like that. But it's way too many people to really effectively do a Bible study with. So again, you can do a class and maybe you can have people break up into smaller groups or something like that. But the ideal group to do a discovery Bible study in is probably going to be three to five people. That's probably going to be an ideal size group. If you remember from the What is Discipleship series, we said the smaller the group, the deeper the transformation. So when you have a group that's three to five people, or even just one-on-one -on -one with a friend, neighbor, family member, coworker, that's when you're really going to be able to share. You're going to have time to really talk about things. You get more than five or six people in a group, and suddenly not everybody's answering every question. Not everybody gets a chance to uh, speak their mind, to answer things. And so you want to kind of keep the groups small if you can. So what are you thankful for? Uh, type something in there, hit send, and I uh, would love to take uh, a look at those. So 
you would go around the group and you don't have to go around in a circle. But what's great about Discovery Bible Study is it's so informal. Um, it's it's um, as, as when I lead a Discovery Bible Study, I put lead in quotes because I do very little. I don't prepare anything. I don't read the scripture beforehand. I experience it just like everybody else in the group. The only thing that I'm doing as a leader is just sort of keeping us on time, sort of guiding the conversation, guiding us from question to question, make sure that we get through all the questions. That's really it. If I have some Bible knowledge that maybe helps, I might bring it to the table, but I don't always have that. And it's not necessary. And sometimes it's better if I don't have it because I, I kind of like to teach and this is not a time for teaching. So for people like me, sometimes we have to stifle that. But for most people, that's a very freeing thing. Discovery Bible studies are not about teaching. They're about discovering. It's not a teaching Bible study. It's a discovery Bible study, right? So it's a time of discovery for everybody in the group. You're going to discover something in the text, maybe something that you've never seen before. Hopefully something like that will happen maybe a little later this evening. So um, so you don't have to go around in a circle. You don't have to go in alphabetical order or anything like that. Just Whoever's thankful for something, they, they can throw it out there. It doesn't have to be the thing you're most thankful for this week. It can just be the thing, first thing that comes to mind, uh, those kinds of things. So that's the first question is, what are you thankful for? And what that does is, as you can see in the book here on the left-hand side, the, uh, the, the first sort of light green heading there, it disciples praise. So remember, all of this is about helping us trust and follow Jesus. That's what all this is about. That's why we do a Discovery Bible study. That's why we want to get other people to do a Discovery Bible study with us, is we want to trust and follow Jesus more deeply. We want to help other people trust and follow Jesus more deeply. And so this very first question, what are you thankful for, is a way to disciple praise. You are training yourself and you're training the others in your group to, to praise, to be grateful. Uh, to, to, to be um, thankful for things. I had um, my friends from First Watch, where I have breakfast a lot, they got me this journal for Christmas two years ago. And uh, I'm a paperless guy for the most part. And so, but I was really thankful to get this gift. And I thought, I really want to put it to good use. And so I did something that uh, mom tried to get me to do for years, which was just write down a few things that I'm thankful for. And so every day I just jot down three quick things that I'm thankful for. Sometimes they're silly. Sometimes they're the same thing that I wrote last week. That's okay. I decided, you know what? There's no rules. The only rule is three things a day. And if I miss a day, that's okay. I'll just look back through my text messages and my emails or whatever. And I'll find some things that I was thankful for that day. And I'll write it down. It's a, you know, you can call it a journal or whatever, but really what it does is it builds the discipline Notice that discipline has the word disciple in it. It builds the discipline of praise. It builds the discipline of gratitude, of thankfulness. And so now it's been, you know, a year and a half and I'm still writing some things in it. Sometimes I'll get up to two weeks behind and I'll have to dig through my emails and my text message. Oh yeah, I remember that happened that day and I'll write it down. So we want to build disciplines. That's the reason that we're doing this. We want to build disciplines that will help us trust and follow Jesus more deeply. And so the very first question what are you thankful for is a great way to disciple praise. So one other thing I want to say about that question is this is a great way to start a conversation with strangers when appropriate. Okay. So for me, I'll go and I'll sit at, um, Starbucks and I'll see a lot of the baristas there working at the bar where I sit, or I'll go to, uh, 
a couple of restaurants and I'll, I'll go there a lot. So I'll start to know the people that, that work there because I'm the self-appointed chaplain. Remember that phrase, the self-appointed chaplain, right? So I decided, okay, I'm the self-appointed chaplain of this first watch. And so I'm going to get to know everyone that works here and I'm going to care about them. I'm going to pray for them and I'm just going to be available for them to, to listen or whatever. And the one way that I can listen to them is just asking them, what are you thankful for? It's um, a very low obligation question, right? You're not asking them where they go to church or if they're saved or something just real personal out of the box right away. It's not a scary question. It's not scary for you to ask. It's not scary for them to be asked. Um, uh, it's great to ask people if you can pray for them. Some people get offended by that for whatever reason. Um, I guess they take it as, well, why do you think I need praying for what's wrong with me? You know, I don't know. But, um, I found that this question might be a good little entry question because there's just, there's no judgment in it or anything. And it's more than how are you doing? When you ask somebody how they're doing, what are they going to tell you? Fine. Everybody's that's, that's going to be the answer. I'm doing good. I'm doing well. Right. So this question demands a real answer. What are you thankful for? They can't just kind of give you a pat answer. Sometimes they'll give you a quick answer. Oh, my family or, um, you know, my, that I have a job or that, that you're here today or they'll turn it back on you, whatever. That's fine. That's okay. But a lot of people will give you a real genuine answer. And it's probably not something they've been asked today. And uh, it also just from a basic persuasion standpoint, from from um, the the idea of like persuading other people. You are causing them to think about something that they're really thankful for, something that they're happy about, and they're going to take that happy feeling and they're going to sort of credit that to you. And so as you build that relationship with them, they're going to sort of take that mindset of, of gratefulness and, and they're going to sort of see you through that lens from now on. So it's a great way to just start up conversations with strangers. I'm an extremely introverted person. Um, other members of my family are very extroverted, but not me. I'm more like my dad. I'm very introverted. And so I just normally like to think, uh, keep to myself, think my thoughts, you know, be alone a lot. I enjoy that a lot, but I do love people very much. And so sometimes it's hard for me because I don't do small talk very well. I don't like small talk. I want to talk about important things. I don't want to talk about the weather or sports or whatever. I want to talk about important things, you know? And so this is a way that right away, it's a non-intrusive question and yet often opens up great discussion with somebody who is um, a stranger. So it seems like a just really innocuous question, but it's incredibly powerful. And as we can see in Discovery Bible Study, right out of the gate, your group is being discipled, is being trained, is being mentored to be thankful, being mentored for praise. So the second question now is kind of like that. Uh, what challenges do you see in your life, your family, or your world? So this is another thing. Again, take it to the stranger realm. And if you've got someone who starts to kind of become an acquaintance, someone that you know, if you feel like something's going on or you feel like it's appropriate to ask that question, that's another question that you can ask. And you can even frame it. And hey, what, you got any challenges or anything like that going on? Anything I can pray about for you? When you ask it in that way, especially if you've established a relationship, people are much less likely to be offended. I've had somebody say, oh, no, nothing to pray about. Thank you. And they were really polite about it. They didn't want me to pray for them. Oh, great. That's all right. They don't want it. No problem. I did it anyway. Hope they don't mind. But um, by the time you build some relationship with them by talking about things that you're thankful for, then when you get to some challenging things, now there's sort of a bridge that you've built that they feel comfortable sharing that. And they know that you're going to treat it 
with the respect and the weight that it desires, however big or small that challenge is. And so notice that the question is phrased in a specific way. We ask, what challenges do you see in your life, your family, or your world? And, uh, you know, we can uh, change our, our, our card here so that we ask, what challenges do you see? So now you should see a new card pop up. What challenges do you see? And so what we're asking is, in what, where do you see in your life, your family, or your world? And the reason why we say those three things is because we don't want only selfish prayer requests to come out of this question. So if somebody's got something going on in their life, this is the time to talk about it. And this is the space with you know close friends where you can be vulnerable with each other and keep things in confidence. This is the time when people want to be able to talk about things that are going on with themselves. But maybe they got something going on in their family, or maybe they got something going on in relationships or with friends. This is a time not to gossip about it, but this is a time to um, bring some of those challenges to a close group of people that are going to keep it confidential and pray about it. It's also a time just to pray about things going on in the world. We did a discovery Bible study one night, and one of the girls in our group just wanted to pray about abortion. She didn't have anything specific going on in her life. That wasn't something that, as far as I know, was directly affecting her at that moment. It was just something she'd been reading about. It was something that was on her heart, and she just said it to the group, and we ended up praying about it that night. A lot of times in the group, I'll bring up Christians in other countries, particularly those that are persecuted. Because that's not something that we normally think about because it's kind of out of sight, out of mind. And a lot of those nations keep those Christians way out of sight. Do you ever think about Christians in North Korea? They're there. They love Jesus. They're heavily persecuted. They're worshiping in, in underground and in basements and wherever they can, even though owning a Bible is punishable by jail and in, in some cases death, I think. And so um, it's getting difficult for Christians in India. It's getting difficult for Christians in China, uh, lots of places in Africa. And so when we think about those things going on in the world, we start to develop uh, an others-focused mindset. And we start thinking about the global church and the, the, the rest of the world and not just me and my family and my relationships. So that's one reason that we phrase it that way. Because again, this is all about discipling. This is about helping people trust and follow Jesus. And part of helping people trust and follow Jesus is to become others focused. So you might remember from the discipling handbook, when we looked at the, um, the discipleship wheel. So here is the discipleship wheel, how to disciple. And the bottom left quadrant down there where it says train to minister. That's the young adult quadrant. This is someone who's becoming active in ministry. Why are they doing that? Because coming out of their self-centered child phase, they're coming into an others-centered and God-centered young adult phase. And so that's about growth. It's about spiritual growth or what we call discipleship, growing, growing in uh, trusting and following Christ. So, this question, what challenges do you see in your life, family, and world? This disciples intercession. This disciples caring about other people. And uh, notice on the page here, I know the type is small for those of you looking at it on a phone or something like that, but it says, after the study, there will be a follow-up question. So if you'll remember, question eight is, is, is there anything we can help each other with? Lots of times there will be things that will come up as part of this question that turns out we can help each other. So right now, the group of guys that I normally meet with, I'm out of town. I'm here. I've been here for two months. 
And so when we get to that question, uh, usually my buddy Jason, sometimes he'll drive by and get my mail for me and those kinds of things. we got another guy in our group that's his uh, dad is at home with some serious health issues. And we just ask him, hey, is there, there anything that we can do? Is there anything we can do to take some pressure off of you? Anything like that. So these challenges will circle back around in question eight when we ask, is there any kind of way that we can help each other? Uh, question three is about accountability, and that'll make more sense tomorrow night when we talk about it. But basically, um, it's did you do what you said you were going to do last week? The questions that we're going to look at next are where all of that comes from. It's all the things that we say that we're going to do when we look at uh, what are we going to do about this passage? How are we going to put it into practice? And when we look at who can we encourage with this passage? Who, who do we know that needs to hear this? But before that, we got to read the passage. So reading the passage is really critical. So one thing that it says on the bookmarks, which again is uh, obscured here by the um, by the artwork, but it says read the passage, and then it says reread, retell, and consider the details. So um, if you look under um, back over on the left hand side, there you see discipling praise, discipling intercession, discipling accountability. That is the did you do what you said you were going to do from last week. Now we're into discipling obedience, and this is all about looking at the scripture. So the bullet points under that read, have the text read or told well. If any of the group is illiterate, it must be told well. So this is another strength of Discovery Bible Study, is that if there's anyone in the group who is illiterate or doesn't speak English, right, doesn't read English or doesn't speak English, obviously they would have to speak English. If, if you're speaking English, they'd have to understand what you're saying. But if they don't read English, if they are illiterate to English, they can still be in a discovery Bible study because of the way you're going to approach the text. So someone's going to read the text out loud from one version. Another person is going to read it from a, a different version. And then uh, the story is going to be retold, just a paraphrase in your own words. And then the fourth part is if you missed any details someone might come along and correct you on the details. So again, for instance, if we were doing the story of the prodigal son, somebody might read it in English Standard Version, then someone might read it in New Living Translation, and then somebody might retell it. Well, in their retelling, they might skip over the famine just because as Westerners, we often forget that part. So someone reading along as they're doing their paraphrase would say, oh yeah, you missed one detail, which is just that there was a famine. And so you just point out any details. The reason we do this is so that everyone knows what the story really is. So we've talked before in previous series about every translation does some kind of theology. Okay. Uh, every translation has to do a little bit of theology in order to turn it into English. So um, English standard version is something that I use a lot or um I like to use the Christian Standard Bible, uh, which is uh, similar, but it's a little more readable than the ESV. Both of those stick, try to stick pretty close to the original text. So they're faithful to the original text in a lot of ways, but also in some ways they can be a little clunky, a little hard to read. New Living Translation is a very easy to read translation. It's really great for people that don't know the Bible, have never read the Bible. They can read New Living Translation and very quickly get what's going on, understand what's happening. The problem with New Living Translation is in order to make it easy to read, it goes for instead of a word-by-word -word translation, it's a thought-by-thought -thought translation. So in translating thought for thought, 
it's it starts to it doesn't it's not a paraphrase quite, but there are certain sections that uh, don't quite resemble or or lack the power of the original text, that sort of thing. And sometimes with New Living Translation, there's just a couple of places where it just flat out does some theology on the page. It does it in an effort to help you understand the section better. But um, sometimes I think it, it it's not wrong most of the time. I just think it puts too fine a point on what's being said, where the scripture leaves it a little ambiguous. And I think we should leave leave it ambiguous when the Bible leaves it ambiguous. So there's nothing wrong with a New Living Translation. I use it a lot. I use it all the time. It's a favorite translation of mine, particularly when I'm reading with people that have never read the Bible before. But you should just be aware of all the weaknesses of every translation. Every translation has weaknesses. King James Version has some beautiful language to it. But the fact of the matter is, it was written a long, long time ago. It was translated um, at a time we've learned so much about translation. We found so many more ancient manuscripts and have a better understanding of what the original text was like. We um, also, some of those English words don't mean the same thing that they do now. NIV is a really great translation to read. A lot of our songs come from the NIV translation. It's very poetic and beautiful. And there's, you know, just a lot of places where it, the NIV translation just kind of obscures the meaning of the original text. I don't like NIV. I don't use it. A lot of people love it. A lot of people I greatly respect use it all the time, use it as their primary go-to translation. So nothing wrong with it. I just don't particularly like to use it. So I give you all that background on translations to, to say, this is why you read two translations, because each one is going to be a little different than the other. And so it's kind of like looking at uh, a sculpture or a painting or something from a couple different angles, right? You, you start to see things you didn't see from the other angle. And so reading in a couple of different translations is really key to understand what it is that you're reading. So you read it in a couple of different translations. Somebody retells it in their own words, and then somebody comes behind and says, well, here are some of the details maybe that you missed. So you read, reread, retell, and consider the details. So that's the reading. And that brings us to question number four. So looking at the discipling handbook here, you'll see that this is all about discipling obedience, right? That's the heading on this section. Our, our approach to the text is discipling obedience. So we're not coming to the text for knowledge. We're not coming to the next for uh, coming to the text for you know good feelings, anything like that. We're coming to the text to learn how can we trust and follow Jesus more deeply? How can we help other people trust and follow Jesus more deeply? That's the reason for coming to the text is so that we can know God and that we can love him and be loved by him and uh, obey, right? So obedience is the way that we're going to get there by reading the text and obeying it. If you just read the text, like um, my uh, good brother and friend, um, Ted Gobble would say, uh, quoting James, teaching from James, it's like looking in a mirror. And you, when you walk away, you got to decide, okay, what am I going to do with what I just saw? And so uh, this is what you got to do with Discovery Bible Study. You've got to look into the text and you've got to ask some hard questions. Now, a lot of us are used to doing Bible studies. Uh, a Bible study in and of itself is a fine thing. It's a good thing. But the Bible studies, the way we've been doing them have probably been maybe um, more of a bad thing for churches than a good thing. That's, uh, here's what I mean by that. Many times we will read a text. We will all give our independent thoughts about it. And when we do, we phrase it in like second person. Well, I think you need to do this. I think 
when uh, this happens in life, you just have to this, right? We phrase it in second person. It's like a little miniature sermon. We each get a chance to teach. Nobody says anything about their own life. We leave, we don't obey the passage, and we come back the next week and we do it again. So quite honestly, if you're going to read the Bible and not obey any of it, you might as well not even read it. So this is why I say Bible studies, the way we typically do them, probably have been maybe worse for Christianity than better for Christianity. That's what makes Discovery Bible Study so wonderful. It's a very key focus on the obedience. You know, you don't just read it to read it. You don't just read it to be entertained. You don't just read it for knowledge. You read it to go do it. You read it to find out what makes God happy and how to love other people, how to love God and how to love other people. That's that's the whole of life, right? And so that's why we're reading the text. That's why we're engaging with the text. So we're discipling obedience. So the, the first thing that we usually do when we're in a, a, a typical Bible study is we will immediately jump to application. We'll read something and we'll immediately start applying it to our life. Discovery Bible study puts the brakes on that by asking two very important questions up front. The first question is, what does it say about God? What does this scripture say about God? And the reason why this is important to go first is because it reminds us of the whole purpose that we're reading this text, to, to know God and to love him and to be loved by him. That's the first and greatest purpose. The lateral purpose with loving our neighbor is like it, but it is second. So the first is God. So we're going to ask, what is God trying to tell us about himself in this passage? And the point of this question is to try and walk away with an answer that is sort of uh, an eternal characteristic of God. So um, you you would say things like, well, God is love or God is righteous or um, God desires family, values family, things like this. You, some kind of eternal characteristic that can really apply to any situation. So you want to really learn something, discover something about who God is from the passage that you've read. The next question, after you're asked, um, what does this scripture say about God? The next question is, what does this scripture say about people? This is a similar type question. So in the same way that, what does it say about God? In the same way that that is asking about an eternal characteristic about God, the question about people is about human nature. What are some things that's just always true about human nature or largely true about human nature? And um, what is the scripture telling us about people and how people deal with each other, how people deal with God, how people deal with themselves? What is the scripture teaching us about humanity, about human nature, about people? The uh, next question after that is, how can I put this passage into practice? The key here, you're going to answer this question by beginning, I will. So one of the things that we talked about real briefly during the What is Discipleship uh, lesson was um, in group settings, you want to do, you want to make I statements. So you know how I just said, a lot of times in Bible studies, we'll, we'll have second person you statements, the general you, the global you, right? Well, we're not going to do that in Discovery Bible Study. We're not going to talk about you. We're going to talk about I. We're going to talk about me. Right? So when I discover what is in this scripture, when I see what it says about God, when I see what it says about people, that's probably going to convict me to, to change something in my life. 
Hopefully it will. If I believe that those things are true, if I believe that that's true about God and that's true about people, it's going to convict me to change something in my life. And so I say, okay, well, I will do X, Y, Z thing. And the purpose of the I will statement is to discipline, to disciple, to build a discipline of obedience. So the purpose of the I will is not to build a checklist Christianity, but it is to build a discipline of some kind. So lots of times people will say, well, I will pray about this. Well, I will pray about that. That's great. We should do that. We should pray about things. But it's also to actually like actually go do some things in addition to the praying. So sometimes we need to pray about things in order to figure some things out or uh, build up the courage to change or something like that. That's no problem. But at some point, we probably want to encourage the people in our groups to prayerfully act in the in the world. And so this can be things like, uh, you know, I need to ask for forgiveness from somebody or I need to apologize to somebody um, based on the scripture that we looked at. I've been worrying a lot or I've been angry a lot. I need to uh, stop complaining, things like this. So you, you don't want to make it an I won't. You don't want to make it things that you stop doing, but instead you want to change it into things that you can do. So if you find that you're somebody who's been complaining, if that's something that you discover by looking at the scripture of the evening, then what you might decide for your I will is to, instead of complaining, be thankful. And so you might say, okay, every day for the next week, I'm going to write down three things that I'm thankful for every day. Okay, that's a very realistic thing to do. That's a very specific thing to do. It's a measurable thing to do. You'll know if you did it or not. Did I write down something every day that I was thankful for? And what it does, again, the idea here is not to build a checklist works-based faith. That's not the idea. But the idea is to build a discipline of gratitude, right? So when you build a discipline of gratitude, suddenly you're not complaining so much anymore because you're so busy being thankful. So that's the purpose of the I will is to build a discipline of some kind that's going to go with you, that you're going to be able to take with you wherever you can go. The question after this is, uh, who's someone that you can encourage with this passage? Who's someone I can encourage with this passage? Again, we're talking I statements here. What am I going to do when I leave here? Uh, who can I encourage with this passage? So I think it's phrased in the bookmarks and in the, in the handbook as, um, Who's someone you know that needs to hear this? Well, obviously, everyone needs to hear this, right? But the, the, the point of it is, who's someone you know pers personally that would specifically benefit from this specific message? Again, the idea is not to point a finger at somebody and say, well, you need to hear this, buddy. But the idea is instead, who can I encourage here? Who can I free from some kind of burden by sharing this passage with them? Many, many times, if you are engaged in the Discovery Bible study, Someone will leap into your mind as you're talking and you, you'll think, I've got to share this with dad, or I've got to share this with Katie, or I've, I've got to share this with Joey. They'll just be on your mind. They'll be on your heart. It's probably the Holy Spirit doing some work while you're there engaging in the text. I think that's one thing that the Holy Spirit really does is give us these little nudges and remind us of people that we need to reach out to. If that's not something that's happening to you in your faith walk, Pray that it would happen. That would be um, a good experience for you and for the people that you uh, reach out to and, and connect with. So once you've committed to doing an I will, to putting the passage into practice, and once, you, once you've committed to encouraging someone else, then the group is going to get wrapped up by everyone asking each other, okay, how can we help each other? What's a way that we can help each other this evening? And that's just a good way to end the group. So. We uh, don't have time.
time to do a full Discovery Bible study, obviously, and we don't have much time left really at all. We're going to be out of here very soon. But I, I want to look at a scripture that you're very familiar with and show you how Discovery Bible study can help even people that are very familiar with the Bible. Okay, so let's take a look at this scripture right here, one that you're probably very familiar with. Psalm 23, right? 23rd Psalm, the Lord is my shepherd. Okay, now this is in a version that you've probably not read. You've probably not read the CSB. I'll just read it very quickly. Um, the Lord is my shepherd. I have what I need. He lets me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He renews my life. He leads me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even when I go through the darkest valley, I fear no danger, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me. In the presence of my enemies, you anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Only goodness and faithful love will pursue me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord as long as I live. Okay, 23rd Psalm. You guys know the 23rd Psalm. Very familiar with it. So the first question that we ask is, you know, what does this say about God? There's lots of things in here. Obviously, it talks about God a lot. He's our shepherd. You know, it's totally fine for people to read it right off the page. Oh, the Lord's our shepherd. That's great. That's that, that's better than trying to come up with some kind of profound Bible-y, churchy, Jesus-y answer. Like, just read it. Just read what's there. We're not asking what you think about God. We're not asking what your understanding of God is. We're not asking you to answer all questions about God. There's one question on the table, and it's this. What does this passage say about God? And what we see here over and over again is that God is doing these very peaceful things, but they're also regenerative things. Green pastures, quiet waters. He renews my life. He leads me along the right paths. And he does it for his, for his glory, for his name's sake, for his renown in the world. So um, things that you could say about God are that uh, God cares if I get rest. God cares if, um, if I'm sad. God cares if I need um, uh, correcting and God will provide discipline for me because he loves me, right? So these are all things that we could say about God from this. An in a more interesting question out of this passage, I think, is the second one, which is, uh, what does this scripture say about people? I don't know if this is something that you've ever noticed about this passage or not, but it often comes up when we do a discovery Bible study here that it begins, the Lord does this, he does this, he does this, he does this. And then suddenly in verse four, it says, even when I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, or even when I go through the darkest valley, one thing that we could say about people is, hey, maybe we're the ones that are wandering off through the valley. He's leading me beside uh, still waters. He's leading me into green pastures, but I'm walking off into the valley of the shadow of death. That's not someplace that he necessarily led me. It may be someplace that I ventured off. Perhaps it's because I didn't go along the right paths that he's leading me mentioned in verse three. Maybe it's I've strayed. Maybe I've just uh, lost my way. Maybe I've just been discouraged. But even though I have wandered off, even though I'm in this place that threatens to kill me, God is with me. And he's not only with me, he prepares a table for me in the presence of my enemies. Now, I don't know how many of you guys have noticed that very small detail about the fact that the valley of the shadow of death, that's not part of God's leading. It's not just like, oh, well, sometimes it happens, but it's like, hey, I walked through here. I went here. Maybe this was a choice that I made. That little, uh, noticing that little detail about the scripture 
really begins to change your idea about how God pursues you, even when you're dealing with temptation and sin and discouragement and sorrow and anxiety and worry. God's chasing after you to bring you back to those right paths. That's a beautiful idea from the psalm, more than just uh, God provides me with a lot of things. And boy, I sure am thankful for that, which is kind of the general feeling that I always got of this psalm for a long time until we sat down to do a discovery Bible study of it. Suddenly in doing discovery Bible study, this passage that I've heard on TV shows and seen on Hallmark cards and heard a million times, I'm looking at this and it's like, I've never read it before. It's like, it's completely new. So that's what I love about discovery Bible studies. It's really going to help you discover what God's trying to tell you about himself, what God's trying to tell us about us. And it's going to help you look and see where are uh, things in your life that you can obey scripture more closely, that you can um, trust and follow Jesus more deeply? Sketches from Scripture is a production of Parabolos, the production company of author and filmmaker Paul Andrew Skidmore. Subscribe to this podcast and more at skidmore.substack.com.